0: If you're able, would you remain standing for the reading of God's word? We're reading Psalm 119, starting at verse 57. This is the faith portion of the psalm. Um, so every verse in that psalm, in that portion, starts with that same letter. Psalm 119, verse 57. This is the word of our Lord. You are my portion, O Lord, I have said that I would keep your words. I entreated your favor with my whole heart. Be merciful to me according to your word. I thought about my ways and turned my feet to your testimonies. I made haste and did not delay to keep your commandments. The cords of the wicked have bound me, but I have not forgotten your law. At midnight I will rise to give thanks to you, Because of your righteous judgments, I am a companion of all who fear you and of those who keep your precepts. The earth, O Lord, is full of your mercy. Teach me your statutes. This is the word of our Lord. Let us pray together. Father, thank you for your word. We pray that you would write your word in the tablets of our hearts that we might follow you every day of our lives. We pray in Jesus' name. You all say, Amen. Please be seated. So here we have the longest chapter in the Bible, the longest psalm in the Psalter, 176 verses, dividing 22 uh, stanzas. Each of the stanzas starting with a particular letter of the Hebrew alphabet. So we have the A through Z of, uh, uh, of a particular teaching, or to use the Hebrew characters, we have the Aleph to Tau of what the Word of God teaches. It's... Amazing, surprising how this very long chapter is about one thing and one thing only. It's about the Word of God and the God of His Word. And you might think, well, Pastor, that's two things, the Word of God and the God of of His Word. But these two things are so connected that they become one thing the Word of God and the God of His Word. That's what this psalm is all about. Yet, It addresses every facet of life in its 176 verses. David Powelson, in an article he wrote on Psalm 119 called Suffering and Psalm 119, he says the following. I'm going to read read to you a longer quote, but it's going to be profitable to you. So listen up. So Powelson says this when he's, he's looking at Psalm 119 as a whole. He says, Psalm 119 is where I go to learn utter... And utterly appropriate honesty. Here I learn how to open my heart about what matters to the person I most trust. I plainly affirm what I most deeply love. I am candid about my deepest ongoing struggles. I express pure delight. I lay the sufferings and uncertainties I face on the table I cry out in need, I shout for joy, I say what I want and want what I say. I hear how to be forthright without any stain of self-righteousness. I hear how to be weak without any stain of self-pity. I learn how to tr- how true honesty talks with God, fresh, personal, direct, never formulaic, abstract, vague. I hear firsthand how Truth and honesty meet and talk it over. This truth is never denatured, never rigid, never humane. This honesty never whines, never boasts, never rages, never gets defensive. I leave that conversation nourished. I find find and experience the brightest and sweetest hope imaginable. I hear how to give full expression to what it means to be human in honest relationship with the person who made humanness in his image. What is Paulson saying? He's saying that this psalm, Psalm 119, gives us a vocabulary to express our faith, to express our struggles, our commitments, our doubts. As we make these words our words, we're given, we're we are gifted with a language that we can express the deepest desires of our hearts. We can express our struggles. We can express our, our, our despair in ways that are pleasing to the Lord, that the Lord hears. Psalm 119 teaches us how, teaches us how to relate to God and how to relate to one another. In that way, then, Psalm 119 is really a commentary on the two great commandments. That we, as followers of Jesus Christ, are called to love God with every ounce of our being, with our whole heart, with our whole mind, with our whole soul, and with our whole strength. And we are to called to love our neighbors ourselves. And as followers of Jesus Christ, we are called to love others as Christ has loved us. In the stanza for today, in these eight verses that we read this morning, we learned that God is the portion of the believer. God is the one that's being given to be the all of the believer. Now, the word portion can be a bit, um, it can cause us to think uh, in ways that's not really what it means here. We think of a portion as a piece of something. And there is truth to that, right? This is my portion for lunch, or I have to eat smaller portions if I'm supposed to lose weight or in any shape. So we think of portions as less than the whole, and perhaps even less than what we need, but that's not what the psalmist means when he says that God is his portion. So the question becomes, what does it mean to have God as our portion? Portion, as the psalmist says in verse 57, you are my portion, O Lord. I have said that I would keep your words. The idea of portion, when it talks about the God, the Lord being our portion in the psalms, has to do with the distribution of the promised land among the tribes of Israel. Each tribe received its portion, the land that they received would provide all that they needed as the Lord gave to them. Reuben did not have to go to Issachar to get what they needed. Judah did not have to go to Benjamin to get what they needed. Naphtali did not have to go to one of the other brothers, to Manasseh or Ephraim or whoever, to Dan to get what they needed, because each one was given from God directly a portion of land that would be enough to provide for all of them as God is gracious to them. But there was one tribe... That got no land. As one tribe, that didn't need any land. An even clearer connection between God being our portion and the distribution of the land to the tribes of Israel, as is in Psalm Psalm 16, verses five and six. This is the Psalm of David, and David says this: "O Lord, you are my portion; you are the portion of my inheritance and my cup. You maintain my lot." The lines have fallen to me in pleasant places. Yes, I have a good inheritance. So David says that what God has done for him, his border, border lines, the lines of, distinct, of, of separations have fallen in good places for him. And yet, there was one tribe that did not get any land, the Levites, where, who God specifically says, And the Lord said to Aaron, You shall, not know, you shall have no inheritance in their land, neither shall you have any portion among them. I am your portion and your inheritance among the people of Israel. And David, in writing Psalm 16, says, Here I am being, being persecuted, being uh, kicked out of the land. I'm not in the land, and yet you are my portion, just like, Lord, you are the portion of the Levites. You are my por- I don't need a land for you to be my portion. I don't need a land to be satisfied. I don't need some possession in order to be fulfilled, because God himself is my portion. Portion. So David happily embraces God alone as his inheritance and his cup. He says, you alone are my lot, O God. The lines or the measuring cords used to mark off the land allotted to each have fallen, David says to me, in pleasant places. Indeed, I have a beautiful inheritance because his inheritance is not just a plot of land. It is God himself. God is... David's portion is all that David needs. Simply put, David is saying, You, O God, are the portion allotted to me. You, O God, supremely beautiful are my inheritance. You, O God, are the only land I, never, I need or want. And this is the imagery that our text is using when it says in, in Psalm 119, verse 57, You are my portion, O Lord. I have said that I would keep your words. Having God as our portion means to be satisfied with Him and with Him alone. It is to understand that having God as your God through the Lord Jesus Christ is more and is better than everything else put together. Uh, C.S. Lewis family said that he who has Jesus and everything else in the world... No, no. That's not how it goes. He who has... It escaped me. I should have written down. But in essence, he's saying that if you have Jesus and nothing else, you have greater riches than he who doesn't have Jesus and everything else in the world. And that's the idea of having the Lord as your portion. To have God as our portion is to want Him and His presence more than we want anything else in life. King David, again, helps us understand that. In Psalm 63 Verse 1, David expresses that the Lord is his portion. He says, O God, you are my God. Early will I seek you. My soul thirsts for you. My flesh longs for you in a dry and thirsty land where there is no water. In times where he's been uh, persecuted, in times where he's kicked out of the land, in times where he's far away from the worship of the Lord, the place of God's presence, he cries out, in the, in your absence, I realize how you are my portion, how I seek after you. David was satisfied with the Lord, but yet he wanted more of the Lord. So in Psalm sixty three verse five, he says, "My soul shall be satisfied as with marrow and fatness." Now, that's not how we think anymore, right? Nobody's thinking, "Man, I can't wait till we break out the marrow for lunch today. I can't suck in the, on that on that bone and get that marrow that's inside." Man, I love that. Or fatness, right? We're not in the culture where it says, "Ooh." I I don't care about the steak, give them the fat. Uh, That's what we want. And yet, uh, back in David's time, that's the sign of richness. Remember, protein was at a price, it was a premium there. Uh, Food is not as prevalent as we have today. So to eat marrow that's so rich in protein and calories, that was a great thing for you because it kept you going for a while. So David says, my soul shall be satisfied with marrow and fatness, and my mouth shall praise you with joy and joy. Joyful lips as I grow in you. The idea that David looked to God and said, The best provision comes from you. You are the one that causes me to be my life to be enriched. You're the one that causes my life to be keep on going, because you are my portion, so I seek you. He he knew that there was more and, and he, his whole being craved it as a thirsty man craves for water. He knew that there was more of God. God is his portion, yet there was more of God out there to get known, to become known, to grow in, to grow in a relationship. And he says, I want more. I want more of you because you are my portion. Without you, nothing makes sense. With you, I'm satisfied. The word in Psalm, in Psalm 65, verse one, verse, Psalm 63, verse 1 seek early means earnestly, ardently, or diligently. And the point is, to seek after God means to go after God with an intense desire. When God is your portion, as the psalmist says in Psalm 119, verse 57, you are going to go after Him. You're not going to be satisfied with just a little bit of God. You want as much of God as you can get. There's, uh, I read about a young man this week who, um, who wanted to be a disciple of Socrates, a philosopher. And he followed, followed for a great length of time. He followed Socrates through town saying, Socrates, I want to be your disciple, I want to learn from you, I want to know the truth from you, and he kept on following Socrates all day long, and yelling at Socrates, and Socrates did not acknowledge him at all, and Socrates walks into the water, and the guy falls into the water, and, and suddenly Socrates turns around, and dunks the guy in the water, and holds him under the water, and he's uh, you know, to the point where Socrates notes that he better let him out or else he's going to die. And when the guy comes out, he goes, ah! and then Socrates says, when you desire truth as much as you seek air, you can be, can be my disciple. Having God as your portion is that, ah! you're desiring God as much as you desire the very breath that you draw every second of your life, how much do you desire to know God? How much is God your portion? To seek after God means that there is always more, because God is an infinite being. If you figure that you've, if you figure that you've reached a level of maturity in your Christian life where you can put in a nutrient coast, because you've had enough of God in your life, you uh, you, you, you don't need to grow anymore because you've arrived. You're in big trouble. David had walked with God for years, but he thirsted more and more. And that's all involved in having God as our portion. And sometimes, brothers and sisters, the Lord needs to remove all we have for us to see that He's all that we need. Our life can be distracting. Our life can, be, uh, can take our eyes off of God. We, we may be trusting in other things, and God might have to come along and t- this, uh, no, take everything from us so that we might see that he, that he is all that we need. It's going to become more clear this afternoon as we look at the next stanza. But look at verse 67 of Psalm 119. The psalmist says, Before I was afflicted, I went astray, but now I keep your word. And then verse 71, It is good for me that I have been afflicted, that I may learn your statutes. Brothers and sisters, contrary providence, the things that, that, uh, that uh, cause us to lose in this world, the things of this world, are the good gifts of God to help us as believers realize that all we need is Him, that all these things are blessings from Him, but at our core, what we need is God as our portion. Uh, remember the context of the book of Lamentations in the Old Testament? Jeremiah is taken to Egypt against his will. The Babylonians come and just destroy Jerusalem completely. He comes back to Jerusalem, and his beloved city is just a pile of rubble. The temple is destroyed To the point that even to this day, the only thing left is a little bit of the foundation in the western wall. The temple is gone, and he looks over Jerusalem and he laments. He cries, and he cries, and he cries, and you get this uh, almost this whiny feeling as you read Lamentations one, and you read Lamentations two, and you go through a third of Lamentations three. Till Jeremiah realizes, wait a minute. Why am I crying over the loss of a city when God is faithful to me? Why am I crying over the loss of a temporal city when his faithfulness is new to me, his mercy is new to me every day? So the prophet then is able to say in verse 24 of chapter 3, The Lord is my portion, says my soul, therefore I hope in him. Everything has been taken away from Jeremiah. Everything, his family, his beloved city, the temple, the very place in which God promised to meet his people. So that he could come to the portion, to the place where he would say, the Lord is my portion, says my soul. My soul, my innermost being with great conviction, the Lord is my portion. We see that also in Isaiah where in chapter 26, he's prophesying, he's just got done prophesying the exile that the God's people, so we're talking about a couple hundred years, a little over a hundred years before this happens, Isaiah says God's people are going to be taken from the land, going to be taken to a strange land. They're going to hear language, tongues that they can't understand. It's going to be a sign of a curse. And yet, he talks about the song that those in exile are going to be singing. The song that those that are away from God, those that have been taken away from everything they knew we'll be seeing in in Isaiah 26, verse 9, the prophet says that this is the song of those who have lost everything. With my soul, I have desired you in the night. Yes, by my spirit within me, I will seek you early. For when your judgments are in the earth, the inhabitants of the world will learn righteousness. When everything was gone, they were able to say, you are the one that I'm seeking. Not the land, not the leeks and onions and garlic of Egypt, but you. You are my portion. And when the Lord is our portion, we run to Him. We see that in verses 58 through 63. In verse 58, it says, I entreated your favor with my whole heart. Be merciful to me according to your word. I entreated your favor means I sought your face. The word favor is the word for face in Hebrew? And remember, what's the basic blessing in the Old Testament was? What was the blessing that the priests were supposed to, this the 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 the, uh, the high priest was supposed to utter up uh, over the people, uh, known as the the Aaronic from Aaron blessing in Numbers chapter six, where Aaron was instructed that he and his children, his descendants, would bless the people by saying, "The Lord bless you and keep you." The Lord does what? Makes his face shine upon you and be gracious to you, the Lord lift up His countenance upon you and give you peace. That's what the psalmist was looking for. When, he, when the Lord was his portion, he wanted the Lord's face to be upon him. He wanted the Lord to be looking at him. He wanted the Lord to be shining, blessing him. He wanted the countenance of the Lord to be favorable to him. To lift your countenance is to turn, to use today's language, a frown upside down. You're lifting up your countenance. You're smiling upon somebody. He wanted God to smile upon him. And here we see that the psalmist desired the presence of the Lord with his whole heart. He says, I entreated your favor with my whole heart. I want to see your face upon me with my whole heart, which is exactly what we are commanded to do as believers, right? We are to love the Lord in Matthew 22. We are to love the Lord with, with all our heart, with all our mind with all our soul, with all our strength. And, brothers and sisters, what the psalmist is saying here is not the experience of the super-Christian. That is the experience of the Christian because he or she desires the mercy of God. As he says, be merciful to me according to your word. This is not something, something reserved for the super spirituals, It's available to you, believer in the Lord Jesus Christ, as God is your portion his face shines upon you, his countenance he smiles at you through the Lord Jesus Christ. And when the Lord is our portion, we will turn from our own ways and will follow the word of the Lord. Look at verses fifty nine and sixty. I thought about my ways and turned my feet to your testimonies. I made haste and did not delay to keep your commandments. When the Lord truly becomes our portion we have our eyes open to see the foolishness of our own ways plans and thoughts and that's what happened to the prodigal son remember the story of the prodigal son in Luke 15 he as far as we know in the, in the stories is his brother and him he was the younger brother he is tired of serving his father he says i need uh, my inheritance now, which was not necessarily a problem in Deuteronomy. The, 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 There's a provision made for the father to split his inheritance before he died. So it's not like the son was wishing that his father died. But the difference is that he wanted to spend it before his father died. So give it to me. I want to live it up. And he, the father gives him the money. He leaves. He goes to a distant land. He lives a life of sin. And he has all kinds of friends. Till what? Till the money runs out. And where does he find himself? Feeding the, the pigs, right? Feeding, feeding husks to the pigs. And as he, is, he, as he is in that situation, when everything else has been taken away from him, by his own sin, by his own actions, he says this, Luke says this about him. When he came to himself, when he came to his senses, he said, How many of my father's hired servants have bread enough and to spare? And I perish with hunger. I'll rise and go to my father and will say to him, Father, I have sinned against heaven and before you. Brothers and sisters, when the Lord truly becomes our portion, we have our eyes open to see the foolishness of our own ways, our own plans, our own thoughts. Have you come to your senses? Have you come to yourself? Do you realize the foolishness of your ways apart from Jesus Christ? Proverbs 13 says, The way of the wicked is hard. The way of the wicked is hard. hard. But our Lord says that he's gentle and lowly, and that his yoke is easy, and that his burden is light. Have you realized the foolishness of your own ways? When the Lord is our portion, we realize that, and we turn to Him, and notice the immediacy and the radical nature of the obedience of the one who has God at His portion. Verse 60 says, I made haste, and did not delay to keep your commandments. When he came to himself, when he came to his senses, he didn't delay. He did not come up with a plan. He did not think of how many stages he's going to take. He immediately, radically turned away from his sin and took care of it. Isn't that what our Lord says in Matthew 5? That when our, when our eye causes us to see, not to sin, we are to pluck it out. When our right hand causes us to sin, we are to cut it off. Not literally, but indicating the immediate and radical way that we're to deal with our sin. And brothers and sisters, when the Lord is our portion, opposition or comfort, two sides, right? Opposition or comfort will not keep us from honoring God. Look at verses 61 and 62. The cords of the wicked have bound me, but have not forgotten your law. At midnight, I will rise to give thanks to you because of your righteous judgments. The, the Christian will always face opposition of one kind or another if you're faithful to Jesus Christ. The Apostle Paul tells young Timothy, the pastor in Ephesus, the godly will face persecution. So we are guaranteed, the you know, common proverb is that uh, taxes and death are two things that are not avoidable, right? But for the believer, death is avoidable because there's a resurrection, but persecution is not. So for the, the Christian says this tax and persecution are unavoidable in our lives. We are going to suffer. And it's tempting to compromise our obedience to the Lord in times of opposition. Now, none of us here in this room if you're going to, to, to base how we define opposition in history, none of us have faced anything nearly close to persecution as our brothers and sisters have in the past, and our brothers and sisters in persecuted countries are suffering today. But we face the opposition at work, the, the look, or, 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 or uh, not even being able to have a conversation with the coworkers because the world is so different that you're mocked and, and or the promotion you don't get because of your ethics, and so on. So we face opposition, and it's tempting to compromise our obedience to the Lord in times of opposition. Yet, comfort is more dangerous than opposition. When the Christian is even surrounded by wickedness, he, he or she won't forget to obey the word of the Lord, as verse 61 tells us. But more than opposition, comfort and ease often get in the way of thinking of God as our portion. Because we have other things that are distracting us from looking at the Lord as our portion. Look at what he says in verse 62. At midnight, I will rise to give thanks to you because of your righteous judgment. What is he saying? When he says at midnight, I will rise to give thanks to you. He said, he's saying that comfort is not going to keep me from seeking you. I'll get up in the middle of the night to pray to you. Comfort, ease, is not going to get in the way of doing that. There's an interaction between Martin Luther and Philip Melanchthon in which he says, Master Philip, tomorrow is going to be a very busy day. Lots of things that I need to do. So I'm going to wake up three hours earlier so I can pray. Not the other way. Not, I'm not, uh, there's so much to do that I'm going to shorten my prayer time. That's not what he says. He says, there's so much to do. I'm in so need of God's grace that I'm going to wake up even earlier so I, go, uh, so I can pray for the grace that I need to go through such a busy day. Ease and comfort can get in the way of acknowledging God as our portion. How about you? How about all of us here? We live in the most comfortable society in the history of the world. Do you realize that? The wealthiest, the most comfortable society. And we should not feel guilty about that. We should praise the Lord for His blessings. Because all, the good, all good gifts comes from the Father of lies, our Father above. So let's not feel guilty about being where we are today. But let's be aware that the comforts of this life might distract us from having God as our portion. And let us be filled with the Spirit enough to be able to pray that the Lord would even take everything away if that meant that we'll see Him more clearly, that we're going to love Him more dearly, that He's going to be our portion. doesn't mean that we're going to be happy, clappy, happy, slappy, that we're going to just uh, be all smiles, but we'll have our faith purified, as in the crucible, you know the fire that purifies silver so that we can be closer to Jesus Christ. And because the Christian delights in the Lord, because the Lord is his portion, he delights in the physical representation of the Lord on earth. Look at verse 63. I'm a companion of all who fear you, and of those who keep your precepts. Who are these people? We are the people who fear God and keep His precepts? That's us. That's the church of Jesus Christ. And because God was His portion, because He delighted in the Lord, He couldn't help by wanting to be with God's people, the communion of the saints. Because that is the clearest representation of God on earth, is the visible church. Of the Lord Jesus Christ. As it were, as we look around, we see the face of Christ in the face of each other. Because we are the body of the Lord Jesus Christ. Which is the second great commandment. Love your neighbor as you love yourself. Love the Lord with every ounce of your being. And do that by love your neighbor as you love yourself. And Jesus says that all of the Bible, all the law and the prophets... Hang on these two commandments. Everything is an explanation of these two commandments. And as with every other stanza so far, the psalmist is not demanding rewards, but they rely on the Lord's grace and mercy. Look at verse 64. The earth, O the, the, the oh Lord, is full of your mercy. Teach me your statutes. In the Hebrew, the word mercy is the very first word in that verse, because it starts with the, word, the, the letter cheth, is the word chesed, God's covenant faithfulness. Everywhere you look as a believer, you see God's covenant faithfulness to you on this earth. Every act, everything, every providence is a demonstration of God's covenant faithfulness to you. And that is the lens through which the believer looks at all of life as a demonstration of God's covenant Faithfulness to you. It is surprising how Psalm 119 is absolutely about the Word of God and the God of the Word. And yet it addresses every facet of life. And above all, it is about the experience of the Christian who has made God his portion. So I end with this Is God your portion? Have you come to know the God of the Bible through faith in the Lord Jesus Christ? Has the Spirit of God changed your heart from a heart of stone, a heart that's not able to believe, to a heart of flesh? that is now able to believe. Have you trust in Lord Jesus Christ, what He's done in His life in obedience to the Word of God, the death, that's the death of a sinner in separation from the Lord, and the resurrection to life. Have you trust in that to be the standard by which God is going to judge you? What are you going to offer to God as you see Him? Is that going to be what you do? Or is it going to be what Christ has done? A uh, top lady says that we come before the Lord naked, clinging to one thing and one thing only. And that is the cross of the Lord Jesus Christ. When we acknowledge it, when that is our faith, then the Lord is our portion. And we may stumble in that walk. We may falter. But when Jesus Christ is standing before the Lord on your behalf, not your works, not any good that you might bring, When Jesus is the one standing before you, before the Lord, then the Lord is your portion. And we're growing more and more into that. So, friend, who is your portion? Who is your portion? Let us pray together. Father, we thank you that you review yourself through your word and through the preaching of your word. We pray that you strengthen us in our faith as we think about what we heard here this morning. We pray to bring faith to those who do not believe who in our midst who are in our midst. We pray that you would indeed be our portion through the Lord Jesus Christ in whose name we pray and we all say, Amen.